you see, if we want to talk about wonder, it is, it is a question of faith. We can see things and, and yet not see them, which is why Isaiah talks about always seeing but never perceiving, always hearing but never understanding. We can look at something like this and say, oh, what an interesting collection of gases. Or we can see the most unbelievable, unnecessary extravagance of our Father God, who puts these things in the universe for no reason at all. Except he just cannot stop creating. He cannot stop the abundance of his extravagance. And we see these things, and yet so often we miss them. And the, uh, the chapter in this book on wonder starts with this interesting quote that um, starts, attention is the beginning of devotion. Paying attention. And um, as I talked about, thought about wonder this week and thought about some of the things that, that stop us or that keep us from wondering, um, that's really what I, what I want to look at this morning. And it's the same with this. Oh. Oh. But do we really wonder at, at a newborn child? Do we actually begin to comprehend what is going on here? The potential wrapped up in that child. All those millions of possible futures that God has created in that child? Or is it just an accidental product of billions of years of evolution? Je crois que non. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. It is not an accident. God has a plan, as, as John Song was just, we were seeing. He has a plan. And he has a plan in the wonder of a newborn baby. The wonder of a supernova, the wonder of e equals mc squared. This is quite honest. Oh, wrong one. Oh, do apologise. Right, let's um, you know, we'll stick with this one. The wonder, not just of the crucifixion, which is the most extraordinary event in history, but the wonder about the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have been inspired by that event to try and draw it to try and capture something of it. And yet, we have to wonder at this cross because we've grown so used to it that we've actually forgotten what, what we see. What we see is a Jew being crucified and put to death like thousands of others by the Romans. But we understand there's so much more to that, don't, there? don't we? Why? Because we've begun to wonder. We've begun to work out what is actually going on here. And I think this is an extremely good example of when our wondering has led us to a good place. But also a warning not to take so many other things at face value. And fail to wonder. Fail to go to God and say, what is going on here? What is this situation about? And sorry, lastly, the wonder, E equals MC squared. Have you seen the proof of that 
equation. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. That in the chaos of the universe, the universe that's growing at the speed of light, there's this little kernel, this little statement that makes sense of it all. Unbelievable. Quite unbelievable. So I really want to encourage you to wonder. And I guess part of wondering is attention. It's paying attention. And it's also not taking things at face value. Not just seeing something, oh, that's, that's what it is. That must be what it is. So I identified a few scriptures that I think are quite helpful for this. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Not exactly the most tangible of scriptures, is it? Not exactly the most black and white. Yeah? But it, it gives us a hint. It gives us a taste it gives us just that indication that what we've seen is not all that there is to see. That what we've heard is not all that there is to hear. But that if we will press into God and embrace some of these uncertainties, then we're going to experience some new stuff. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. That's from Romans where Paul is exploring the relationship between Jews and non-Jews and establishing what may or may not be coming. And he stands, who can work it out? It's beyond our understanding. And that makes some of us a little bit uncomfortable, the sense that it's beyond us. But actually what it should do is make us supremely comfortable in the knowledge that we have a God who is far beyond our finding out but invites us to come and search for him, invites us to come and find him, invites us to seek his face, knowing we're never going to get to the end of him. The idea of the God who hides so he can be found, I think is, is a great concept. Really good ideas. Attention is the beginning of devotion. So, what are the enemies to wonder? What are the things that make it difficult for us to really embrace this wonder and embrace what the Holy Spirit wants to show to us? The first one I've came across is distraction. And in one of those beautiful ironies that there are in our life, as I was preparing my talk using my work computer, I was trying to run some cleaning software on a second computer at the same time. And I take a kid you not, it was 10 minutes before I realized what was going on. That I was being distracted by what was happening here from what was happening over here. 
So, there we are. Distraction. So many distractions. If you're anything like me, you are bombarded with them the whole time. Um, Jeff's not with us this morning, but I remember Jeff, years and years and years ago, he made this, said this, made this profound statement. He said, it used to be just me and a bicycle. That was all he had, and that was all he had to concern himself with. And it's, I, that's just brilliant, isn't it? It used to be just me and a bicycle. And now we look at the, all the things that we own, that we're trying to manage and we're trying to administer, and these constant distractions. So it's um, constantly there. And I love having the Bible on my phone because it's always with me. But, of course, the risk with having it on your phone is you go to look at the Bible and 75 other things scream for your attention. Or I'll I'll just check the news, or I'll I'll just see what's happening on the emails, or I have no social media on my phone, but nonetheless, there are plenty of distractions there. All these things. I slow my mind to pray, and it just comes in again, doesn't it? All All those thousands and thousands of things that you want to concern yourself with. Interesting, this morning, went outside, thought this is a great time for me to wait on God, and immediately, I'm starting praying. I'm starting to, no, 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 that's not what we're here for. You're not here to talk, Nigel. You're here to listen. And those of you who know me know that I'm much better at talking than listening. But attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. If I want to spend a quiet evening with Karen, and all I do is talk to her, hmm, it's not, not really a great foundation, is it? Attention is the beginning of devotion. We try to keep things concrete. This is where it touches on wonder. If I'm going to stay focused, if I'm going to avoid some of these distractions, then I want A, B, C, and D to think about and focus on. But actually the challenge in wonder is going beyond distraction and being open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. I I guess of the four... This is, this is a big one for me, distractions, a big one for lots of us. But I think we have to be quite deliberate in not being distracted if we're going to focus on God and allow his wonder. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened his home, her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Hmm. Mary just sat at his feet. But Martha was distracted. The second thing that I think is an enemy to wonder is busyness. Related maybe to to distraction. Busyness. The spirit of the age... It's very clear on this. It says busyness equals productivity equals a valuable life. If you're not busy, society says you're wasting space. You're not producing something. You're not doing things. And social media fills our spaces. Just fills our spaces. If we weren't busy enough with the things that we need to do, there are now thousands of things crowding in on us 
asking for us to do them. The question is, where can I find the space in this busyness to listen to that still small voice? Where can I be confident enough in God to feel that somehow waiting on him is not a waste of time? It's not a waste of time. It's actually one of the most fruitful and productive things I can do with my time is to wait on him. Psalm 46.10, be really, really busy. Fill your mind with all the possible things you can and spend every minute of your life doing other things and know that I am God. That's a paraphrase, but I think the original is actually be still. Still and know that I am God. question that Brian asks is, has Instagram and other photographic and image-rich media robbed us of the ability to wonder at the ordinary? To wonder at the ordinary. So that life only looks good when we see it through a filter. People project perfect online profiles with flawless skin, perfect makeup, and pristine loungewear. They present recipe ideas while simultaneously performing dance moves with their chiseled boyfriend who is repurposing an old van into a luxurious camper for travel to all the waterfalls in Iceland. I think he's exaggerating for the point of uh, making a point. A filtered life can rob us of wonder. I mean, leaving aside the whole negative effects on how we feel about ourselves from seeing all this filtered rubbish, but it robs us of wonder. If we are not careful, our appreciation of what is beautiful becomes distorted. Our definition of beauty needs an overhaul. There is beauty in toast, in wrinkled skin, in industrial skylines. There is beauty in barren deserts. There is beauty in hospitals. There is beauty in rust. It's challenging, isn't it? Where do we see beauty? What do we actually regard as beauty? The third enemy is dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. And this, this really eats away at us, doesn't it? Eats away at us. This idea that if only I had if I was only was, if I could just get, if I could buy, if I could achieve, if I could be, if I could reach all these aspirations. Uh, talking in our meeting with Keith yesterday, he was praying and, and uh, God said to him, if I answered all your questions, would that actually make any difference? If I answered all your questions, would that actually make any difference? Again, this is very much the spirit of the age that tells us if we achieve a certain thing, we become a certain thing, we get a certain thing, then you'll be happy. Then you'll be satisfied. And we have this crazy double think about advertising. We know logically 
that the most amazing BMW 8 series will not change our life. But we also know at the same time, somehow, that if we had one, life would be better. And the crazy thing about the human mind is we can carry both those thoughts at the same time. Bizarre, isn't it? It's bizarre. But happiness is wanting what you have. Happiness is contentment with where we are and who we are. And that doesn't mean that we do not aspire to certain things. Aspiration is God-given. But there has to be a contentment from which that aspiration comes. 2 Peter 1.3 says, We have everything we need for life and godliness. Not we will have, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Disappointment. Disappointment strangles wonder. Disappointment stops us from wondering. Disappointment makes us small. Disappointment shrinks us. It shrinks our aspirations. It shrinks our hope. It makes us withdraw. Gerald Coates spoke, I don't know, obviously a long, long time ago. He coined this phrase, post-charismatic disappointment. And those three words are hugely important, hugely important. If you remember those of us who were around in the 80s and 90s, what were we hoping for? What did we expect to see? And then as the 90s turned into the noughties, we realized we weren't going to see those things. People started dying in our churches. We certainly weren't expecting that. Our church did not become the most phenomenally successful group of, of Christians in the nation. That didn't happen. We did not suddenly, as we opened our doors, find this inrush of people wanting to give their lives to Jesus. A whole lot of things that we had expected and prayed for, we did not see. And we feel let down. And when we feel let down, we go back to what we know, back to what we can touch and feel, back to what is concrete. Peter, in that crucial moment in John, goes fishing. He goes fishing, not because he's practicing as an evangelist, but because it's what he knows, and he's completely disappointed, doesn't know what's happening, doesn't know where Jesus is. He's seen him crucified, so he goes fishing. He goes back to what he knows. And the crazy thing for us as Christians is we don't feel sometimes we can even voice that disappointment because we feel that God has let us down. But again, with this double thing, we know he can't let us down because he's always faithful, but we feel he's let us down, but he can't let us down, but we feel he's let us down. And because we feel he's let us down, we're not even honest with God about how we're feeling because he's the cause of the disappointment. And we somehow imagine that he's going to struggle with that. Even though I guess in the third of our double thoughts, we know that he knows that we're disappointed in him because he's let us down, but we can't tell him he's let us Or am I the only one that plays these mind games? No? 
we have to go back to God and say, Lord, you have not given us what we expected you to. We have to start that conversation again. Matthew 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I think that speaks of our disappointment. We have to acknowledge that we have not seen what we expected to see and mourn that loss, because it is a loss. But if we will be honest, then God can begin to heal us and allow us to wonder again and allow us not to be strangled by disappointment, but to break off that disappointment, acknowledging it as true. We're not denying it. And press on into God for more. And the, this sense of disappointment leads also, and this is my final enemy, a desire for certainty. And maybe I need to explain why a desire for certainty could be an enemy, because it sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? sounds like a really good thing. But actually, it prevents us from wondering. You might say, wonder, that's for the mystics, the Buddhists, and the hippies. I believe in the written word of God. Don't need to wonder. That's for those. I have. Who oh, haven't you got it, have I? I have the written word of God here in my hand. Imagine, yeah? Why wonder? Everything I need is in there, in black and white. As the Germans used to say, es steht geschrieben, the word says. And there's now no doubt about it, is there? It's clear, we just get on and read it and believe it. Life used to be so black and white. I mean, literally, literally black and white. It is hard for us to overemphasize the shift in the value system in Western cultures in the last hundred years. If you begin, set yourself back to 1920 and look at what was norm, what was regarded as normal, what was regarded as in and what was regarded as out, you will be horrified. Hundred years, cultural norms have been turned on their head. And it's no longer as black and white as it used to be. Really isn't. And theologically, a lot of us are in the same boat. What happened to the seven-day creation? What happened to the literal flood? What happened to heaven and hell? And who's going where? What happened to women in leadership? What happened in the whole area of sexuality and broken sexuality? Where are we now, and how do we go f where do we go from here? The desire for certainty will lead to frustration. And just don't hear what I'm not saying. That does not mean there are no truths that we cannot hold to. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying the whole thing is relative. But what I'm saying is, in many areas, we do have to now embrace an area of uncertainty which historically wouldn't have played. Two fundamental truths for life 
I've pinched this from a, a poster that I saw in Andrew Mavis's lounge a long, long time ago. Two fundamental truths. These will really help you in your journey through life. There is a God. You are not him. It's fundamental, isn't it? Do you not feel that? That gets to the very essence of creation and who we are. There is a God. You are not him. When the Jews tried to make Jesus the moral policeman of their state, he refused to do it. Time and time again, you'll see, as they ask him questions about this, done answer, turns them back on them, turns on with another question. And we are not called to that role either. We are called to love uncritically and unconditionally. What does Paul say? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that will attract those who don't know him to us. And as we pursue God in wonder, allow him to reveal things to us, then we will find we can love and live uncritically and unconditionally. How can we live with uncertainty? Well, only by living in wonder. Wonder is the only way that we can get through in uncertainty. You remember a few months ago, Andy introduced us to a song by Corey Ashbury called Dear God. And he says, I try and try just to fall back down again. And I ask myself, why do I try to chase the wind? I should lean into the mystery. Maybe hope is found in a melody. So I want to try again. Lean into the mystery. Maybe hope is found in a melody. It is as we wonder at Jesus and his extraordinary inclusive love that scripture takes on a whole new complexion. It is out of insecurity that we want black and white. Because if it's black and white, actually, we don't need the Holy Spirit. Because we know what's going on. But if we'll acknowledge our insecurity and embrace wonder, we're on a whole new, completely different train. It is in the wonder of our love for Jesus that we find not black and white, but a whole spectrum of colors. Now, the rainbow may have been abducted, but we still see it when the rain clears. We still see that picture of the spectrum of the love of God in the wonder. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We are not called to understanding but to obedience and wonder. And obedience and wonder will take us a whole lot further. So, some practical steps with this, again from the chapter in the book. Look back. Look back on the amazing things that the Holy Spirit has done in your life. Do not forget the former things. 
do not lose sight of where God has touched our lives. Look up. Look up. Not just to the incredible sight of the heavens. The psalmist said, when I look at the heavens at the work of your hand, what is man that you care for him? How tiny and insignificant. But look up and know God is there. He's there for us. He's there in his love. Look forward. I read the book. I read the end. We win. <laughs> Look forward. Look forward to the good things that we know God has promised and is coming. And be thankful. Be thankful. Be grateful for what we have and allow that gratitude to fill our lives. We are not called to understanding, but to obedience and wonder.